0: The Data Engineering Show is brought to you by Firebolt. It's the cloud data warehouse for insanely fast analytics over terabytes of data with fewer resources.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Data Engineering Show. Uh, Welcome, Minal, our guest today. Welcome, Eldad, kind of back from vacation after missed out the last two episodes. Good to have you. Uh, Yeah. So we have a great episode planned today. Uh, We have Minal Ayer joining us from Momentive AI. So anyone who hasn't heard about that before, uh, so maybe you've used SurveyMonkey. Uh, basically, Momentive is the parent company, uh, and I'm sure Mina will tell us just in a minute kind of what what other products they're kind of working on, uh, what what the company is doing, um, and so on. Yeah, Mina is the VP of data there, uh, so we have a great conversation planned, kind of talking about the data challenges there, kind of data leadership, those types of things. Um, yeah. Meenal, do you just kind of want to quickly introduce yourself, tell our listeners about Momentive, and then we can jump right in.
0: Awesome. Thank you again for the opportunity. Hi, for Benjamin and Eldar. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Meenal. I head the data team here at Momentive. And now going forward, it's going to be called SurveyMonkey again. We're still in the process of renaming our company.
1: Um, so just so to- like a... Flip-flop, basically, going from SurveyMonkey to Mementive and then back to SurveyMonkey. Because everyone knows ServerMonkey.
0: Exactly. It works. (laughs) I've had an exciting 11 months over here um, looking to build a data platform that can allow the organization to kind of make uh, data-driven decisions and then produce value for the organization itself. Um, we just were recently acquired by a private equity firm. And you know, as you know, it, it just becomes more imminent that the data team kind of starts producing more value than it typically does um, in an organization in such scenarios. So uh, it's going to be an interesting journey um, starting now or going forward. So I'm super excited. Um, and yeah, very excited to be on the show.
1: Awesome, super cool. And um, do you want to kind of give us a quick recap basically of what got you into kind of big data, data engineering, those types of things, right? Because like you have a bunch of experience across many different companies. So I'm sure our listeners would love to learn a bit more about that.
0: Oh, absolutely. So no big story there. I have a long story, but, um, you know, I got into data by chance, uh, realized I really enjoyed working in it and figured that, you know, I want to make my career here. Um, So I kind of dabbled in different industries. Um, the reason being that I wanted to learn new businesses uh, wherever I went, and then you know, look to see if I can solve uh, different kinds of data problems everywhere. So it's now gotten to a point where I have an understanding of the industry, so all I have to learn is the business, and then I have a playbook. Um, and you know, I essentially use and employ that playbook and make organizations successful um, in their data journey itself.
1: Cool. So uh, this this kind of leads us right into I think the first interesting thing to talk about, right? Uh so Tell us a bit more about that playbook, basically, and also as times change, right? Like, especially in data engineering, things are moving so rapidly. Like, how much do you have to adjust the playbook, basically, or is it actually quite quite constant?
0: I think I would say my playbook is now about six years old. Um, till before then, you know, it was kind of evolving, um, and just for the reason that space in itself was evolving. Um, till that point, we had a concept of you know where we were very heavily into data warehousing, having warehouses, but now. Um, you know the nature of data has changed. The usage of data has changed. How organizations perceive data has changed. Um, the value that these teams provide has become very, very different. Um, the value generation is now coming out of data teams. The ideation, the monetization, and so for that reason, you know the playbook had to evolve in a way that um, you know we start looking at data democratization uh, in a much broader sense. Data privacy and governance became large components within the whole model itself. So. Um, I would say there was a shift or a change uh, over the years as to, you know, from where we started, Uh, from where it was, you know, very simple um, and not simple in terms of, you know, the build-out itself, but simple in terms of what the requirements of the data team were. Um, It was that you have or produce the data, um, you have a model essentially that services it to, you know, different uh, teams within the organization. And then, you know, organizations had their own decentralized analysts and people who were really, Good with data itself um, on their teams who could like pull the data and do work with it. Uh, but then over time, it changed to where you know the data team itself needed to be um, that center of excellence and that value generator, rather than just being the holder of data or you know just having uh, you know governance over the data itself. Um, and in order for that to happen, you know the education or the training that the team had to undergo or the way uh, the team had to almost partner, not almost. The team has to partner essentially with uh, business rather than just being someone who just takes orders, um, you know, from the business itself. So you know, we b- we become partners because since we hold the data, we have a full understanding um, of all the data that exists, how the data all ties in together, and you know, the value that can come out of that data that you know business may not may or may not be able to see. And so you know, how can we make that um, our motto? Um, is, you know, how my playbook kind of has evolved into. So, of course, we believe fully still in self-serve analytics. So where, you know, we push the data out and we make data available so that business can make the decisions. But we also hold that um, center of excellence hub where, you know, we can start ideating in terms of, you know, what can we produce out of this data? What value can we bring out of it? Because that that is the real ROI um, you know, of what the team can actually uh, provide. So yes, the playbook kind of has all of these things, but I would say um, data democratization is like the biggest, um, is like the word that would kind of encompass the end to end um, of what I have within my playbook itself.
2: Okay, so Benjamin, let me explain to you in a nutshell, in, in 40 seconds, kind of the evolution of data. So at first we served engineering teams and they were using data to build products. It was, it was amazing. But then, you know, we got uh, kind of used to it. So the business actually got on and they started to use data to run the business instead of just building products. So we switched to serve the business instead, which was also amazing. But then again, so we reached the point where we just democratize data and we open it for everyone so they can serve it themselves and we just serve the data. So I think it's kind of, getting back to the roots. We only serve the data and if we model it right, we open it right. Uh, You've mentioned compliance and we've mentioned all of those things, gatekeeping, an excellence center. Um, I think, yeah, I think we're entering an era where it's all about controlling metadata and opening the data so people can use it themselves. Tell us how it evolved. Actually, tell us when was the first time in your career that you considered data to be a strategic part of your team's ability to serve
0: so we we were naturally doing it in throughout my career, right? like uh, but it got to you know when I was at Blackhawk network is when I truly was able to see how that value we could push the value for the organization itself. Um, and let me let me give you an example. So when we started off, you know we again started off as a regular organization, we had our warehouse. We were just kind of pushing data out. Um, and then as we began conversations with the business, um, and I got to learn a lot more about what the business teams were doing and the challenges that they were facing. And I realized it is so much more simple if I can help them build this out themselves rather than them doing it. So it started slowly with an automation. You know, um, There was an automation of an exercise that used to take one person on their team 76% of their week to do. And that is all they did. And even then the value that it provided was not complete. And I said, you know, I can very easily build this out and automate it for you, create a whole simulation for you. And, you know, you just have to press a button and put like input values and, you know, you get an output. And not only are you able to project this for three years, but if you want to project it across five years and see what that looks like, you should be able to do that. and that was kind of the first foray. And then I was like, wow. And I know it's like a duh moment, but, um, you know, it,
2: it was... Wow, like, they're all lazy here. I just managed <laughs> to kind of replace them <laughs> in a, over a weekend. Like, I need to... Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving.
0: <laughs> no, but sometimes it's like there are folks on different teams who are just there for that one specific task, you know, where and that very repeatable task which provides them some level of security, I guess. Um And I said, we can very easily convert. So we just did, we did go and deliver on that uh, to them and they were so happy. And then they kind of championed for us um, going forward. And soon, you know, we had a couple of teams coming in and saying, oh, you know, can you do this for us? This is what we are struggling with. So we built fraud models. We built like market basket analysis models. And that's how it kind of started. And I was like, huh, so... Uh, that kind of essentially became my my thing to do. So as I started moving into other organizations, you know, conversations with the business uh, became a regular thing. Um, you know, communication with stakeholders, understanding what their challenges are, um, became a very very regular thing. And I realized that you know they all are very willing and ready um, to share what their concerns or their challenges are, and then you just have to find a way in which you can. Help and or assist them. Um, and you would be very surprised, but there is always a way for data to assist. Um, and people don't just say data is an asset just like that. It is truly an asset. And if used well within organizations, um, we have an ability to assist in every um, with every business function um, that exists over there. So, you know, that kind of became my motto. I started identifying, you know, who my champion team would be. Uh, because those champion teams became the sellers of my team and they become the seller of you know our abilities and capabilities as well. So uh, it helped a lot within Macy's as well. Macy's, as you know, is a very legacy organization. So um, trying to sell new technology or trying to sell something new is just a little more challenging there. And so you know, going through this champion methodology essentially assisted there as well. So um, it's something that I have put in my playbook and I have employed, but yes, L. To your question, yeah, BlackHawk Network was the first place where I had my "doh" moment.
1: This playbook, right? So, as you move between different organizations to make them more data-driven, to kind of champion data teams, and so on, like how how much does it generalize, right? So, like, let's be maybe very specific. Like, now that you're at SurveyMonkey, right? Like, how how much tuning does it need? Like, how much time do you have to spend just? learning a lot about your organization before you can kind of start implementing that?
0: The business changes. So with every, uh, I have moved across multiple industries. So the business changes, right? So you know every business operates a little differently than the other one. So of course, there is those nuances. Um, the metrics of the KPIs that the organization measures are different. Uh, the business functions are different. Like, you know, sales looks a little different here versus, you know, how it looked as retail sales. So um, there is a lot of those nuances that you have to take into account. But then if you look at like the overall strategy, right, you still have a data team. Um, We still have a data science, you know, BI analytics team. We still have business, we have business functions. We have, you know, teams that need to be um, upscaled. We still have a maturity model Um, that, you know, you understand that at what level of maturity you are and where you have to progress. So there are certain things that are common and you just have to realize, okay, where in the journey is this organization. And then, you know, you kind of take that journey across. So, for example, as I get into organizations, I look to see as to how self-serve is an organization. So in some cases, you know, you enter an organization, it's pretty mature. Uh, you know, self-serve analytics has already been built out. So then, you, you know, you think, okay, what next, right? Like, how do I take them then to that next level? And in some cases, no, they haven't even got self-serve. It's, you know, the data team is functioning almost as an IT team. Uh, and how do you shift that that from an IT mindset to basically a data team mindset? So um, there is that evolution that happens. But if you look from a playbook standpoint, you just define or understand, okay, as to which, and where in that journey they are and then you basically start from that journey but the playbook kind of uh, already like i have it in such a way that i know you know where at which point i need to start and then move ahead on this um right. and then, yes there are some small tweaks here and there that we have to do uh, for the organization itself just based on you know certain changes that may happen um, or in the way that you may have to operate um there are some changes, but for most part, you know, that,
1: that playbook has been good. How do you kind of along this journey, like measure the success, right? Because you're coming in as a data leader, right? And kind if of you have the specific vision of where the data team uh, kind of moves or how a kind of high-functioning data team operates, uh, like how, how do you kind of get buy-in into that and then kind of show, hey, like, look, kind of we're operating better now than a year ago or two years ago. Uh,
0: how do I put it? Okay, so say if you're at the beginning of your journey, uh, in the beginning of the journey is where you know you have to make a case as to you know that I have to. This is where I have to kind of drive uh, the organization towards. This is where you are. So the first state is where you kind of go and speak to individual within the organization and get a feel from them, right? Because you hear a very different story from the data team, typically. Uh, you know, sometimes we. I have been a developer and I know how I was. Um, you know, I used to always say my code is the best. I can never make mistakes, and I produce the best thing, right? Um, so it's exactly you that. No, it's not
2: their fault. They're using different Excel versions of the same schema definition, exactly. so they end up building multiple versions of the truth on the centralized data warehouse. But uh, tell me, like, what is changing if you look at the uh, data teams today approaching new projects? What has changed? Kind of, what are they looking for? Has it changed or are people looking for the same kind of aha moment, insight moment? Is it like, uh, do they come to you with questions and questions unanswered or do they come to you and say, the system doesn't work, we need a new one? Like, How does it feel?
0: Well, again, it depends on organizations and uh, depends on people as well. Um, so in some cases, you will see, again, as I said, there may be maturity within the organization already. Um as to where they are very fully organized and are operating at a level where, you know, the organization is truly using data to its full potential, or is using data uh, in some extent, and then in some cases where you see is that you know data is being just uh, is just being used to basically run the business and not manage the business. So, you know, there is those differences that you notice, but you know, for most part the data teams say, "Oh, there is no problem. You know, things are running. We have." You know, we have an orchestration platform we have, you know, if something goes wrong, we do notifications um, and then we work with business and business typically has no complaints about the work that we deliver. But then you go and talk to business folks and business folks have a very different story to tell uh, because they are sitting on the outside. And, you know, you someone have- is
2: lying. Someone is lying. That's what I'm saying. I
0: think more than like, I think it's a question of perception. <laughs> As I said, I've been a developer before, and I know um, you know what the answer should be. Um, so, you know, you go, and that's the reason why I do uh, you know I do these interviews with everyone across the organization at different levels, um, and understand as to what is their perception of one is how data is being used within the organization, and second is what is their perception of the team itself, um, and what are the challenges that they're facing right now, and. The funny thing is that, you know, with all of these conversations, you start getting messages in terms of, you know, what really needs to be addressed and or fixed. Um, You start hearing commonalities and, you know, you barely see any outliers, but you start seeing commonalities in terms of what needs to be addressed. And you basically take that. And again, you know, I go back to my playbook and I say, OK, that means we still have some work to do over here, though, you know, everyone understands that, OK, this is that. So, for example, you know, someone would say, oh, you know what, we are fully self-serve. And, you know, the business says that, no, you know, every time we go and ask, um, you know, it's a ticket that we open and these tickets stay open for like, you know, months and months. um, And, you know, there is no action on it. It's a
2: seasonal business. It's a seasonal business.
0: It's seasonal, exactly. And, you know, and then the claim is that from this side is that, no, we are self-serve. You know, everything is there. Um, They obviously have, you know, all the reporting available to them. So, you know, why is it not self-serve? I'm like, that is not what self-serve means. Um, And so, you know, there is so much of that uh, distinction that exists. And so it's very key to understand first as to what the landscape is, right? Still before we start defining strategy uh, and we start putting together a plan as to, you know, and go ask funding or ask for executive buy-in because you have to be able to tell that story And say that, you know, why it is necessary to go through these steps in the journey, because otherwise everyone will be like, oh, my God, we made so much of an investment already in this team. I don't see that why you need to invest in this, Um, because this is not a problem. And then, you know, you kind of show evidence and say, you know what, this is not the case. Um, You know, the struggle is still there and we need to address and or fix this. Otherwise, you know, we are always going to be in a state where we are not going to be able to get value out of the data that we have. So. That is kind of the first thing I do everywhere, irrespective of where anyone tells me their data team is in the journey. Um, For me, that's very, very essential to know and or understand. Um, And then once that happens, the conversation with the executors becomes very easy uh, because now I can say, okay, we need this is what the strategy is going to be going forward given the current state of what we are. So this is the problem statement. This is the people process technology that needs that to be addressed. Um, And then we kind of, you know, go in from there and say, okay, uh, what do we move in?
2: When we define self-serve, if we look at kind of self-serve, like your team is is isolated from all the other teams, you're serving them, right? You're kind of, uh, you you have a queue and you have projects and you need to prioritize them. Um, And uh, you constantly try to educate for self-serve. Now, if you look at a typical team, like a few years ago, maybe five, Ten years ago, ten years ago, that would have meant to have an Excel spreadsheet sent daily in an email, uh, so they can self serve. They can open the Excel. They can work. Each team can work on the spreadsheet. They can make, them all, make their own fork. Legacy definition: just copy and paste on Windows. Um, and that was self serve, and then you know it evolved, and then got the BI uh, evolution, and then that exploded for a little while, and then data, big wave of data took over that, uh, those pie charts, and and everyone went back to being able to model, and basically build those data stacks, which then became the new self serve. So kind of as a business uh, team, just like I'm using a marketing tools. And just like I'm using productivity tools, now I need a data engineer or a team within my team to work the data. But working the data now is more complicated because the size has grown, the complexity, the business unit itself, its product itself. As you said, we used to send printed reports; that was our product. Now we're having. Then we had dashboards. Now we're having those online interactive experiences, Uh, a server monkey is a perfect example on how kind of data products evolve. Um, so my question to you, how do you see self-serve going forward? Do we see... So from your team's perspective, is, a, is, a, is an excellent center on one hand, but then on the other hand, from the self-serve part, how do those teams evolve? What do they need? Do we need data engineers in those teams? Uh, do we need to, to run Snowflake, right? Or just do we need Tableau? like? What's the stack for us as a self-serve team?
0: So it depends on the size of the organization um, in the first place. So if you are a very, very large organization, uh, in that case, you know, the chance of having decentralized teams is much, much, much higher. So the centralized teams function essentially would be to standardize. Um, so you produce the framework for them to use, you produce the guidelines. So, so say for example, you know, we use DBT as our ETL tool. And then if there is that other organization that needs to take the data, they need to take it from the model data. So you have predefined data, um, you have predefined metrics within your semantic layer, and that is what they have to use as their starting point. So you can't have them creating their own data silos. You can't have them creating their own data um, artifacts, which have already not been vetted out.
2: Tell us a bit about... Do you use products to enforce it to collaborate on, on shared metadata, consistent metadata? Like how do you do it?
0: So again, so the centralized team. So let's let's talk about these large organizations, right? So you have a centralized team. Of, of the function of that centralized team is one to produce that golden state of the data and to produce a semantic layer. So what is a semantic layer? It's basically a business view of the data where the business is able to kind of come in and essentially question the data, do anything with the data, right? So, you know, that may be, you know, whether they want to use it to build their own data science, whether to do their own analytics. Um, There is a whole bunch of functions that they can do. In some cases, you know, they have their own sandboxes where they kind of play with the data and see, okay, what could be, and then they push it to the central team to kind of productionalize. So there is a lot of these functions. So you produce, so you said you have the semantic layer ready. Your semantic layer has all of your key enterprise metrics Um, has your key enterprise metrics and KPIs already predefined. So irrespective of where it is being used going forward, it is always going to stay consistent. So tomorrow, you know, it is not going to be that one team took it out and they have a very different value of what financial sales needs to look like. And then, you know, marketing says that, oh, this is the value of financial sales. No, it all comes from this single layer. So the very key and important part is that first get this groundwork set in. and then. What you do is then you standardize the, you have a business glossary, of course, which has the definitions of the metrics and then who the steward for that metric definition is. So that if there are changes to that, then that is basically, it's a communicated and published document um, that everyone has, and then they know what it exactly means. So if there needs to be a change, then you know we need to go and follow protocol to essentially make that change within the system, have it put it on the semantic layer and then go out. For that other team itself. Yes, it's a little bit of a process, but it can be optimized. Um, Once you have that, so you have your data dictionary, you have your business glossary published, you have your semantic layer. Then the third thing you do is basically you define the tools that can be used within the organization. So again, that is something that should be managed through the central team. And say, for example, you say Tableau is the only tool that we have from a reporting analytics uh, dashboarding standpoint. And Tableau should be the only one that should be utilized within the organization. Now, if a team comes up with a specific use case and says, "Oh, you know what? Tableau doesn't work for our needs and we are going to need to use Power bi or we need to use Looker because uh, Alt- Sisense, of course only Sisense. Yeah, Sisense. <laughs> And you know if that that that's the one that is going to provide for our function, then you know as a central data team again, it's your responsibility to ensure that that tool is really required because sometimes it is just a matter of preference and not need. Um, and so, you know, it's your responsibility to ensure that uh, that tool is really the tool that you need to take forward uh, or go forward with. But my my statement here most is around the fact that you it's your responsibility to also standardize the tools um, in use across the organizations. And in cases where these functions are going to now be decentralized to the other team, so one is they're going to require is access to your data warehouse or your data. Um, and they're going to need a playground for themselves, where they are going to start building their artifacts. Um, and, you, and they actually ch- can actually change everything they want. Exactly, and so uh, they can change their stuff uh, and push that stuff. And then you have to tell again tools, so you have to provide them the tools that they use, so that they don't purchase their own tools, and so there's no the total cost of ownerships kind of still stays uh, constant. And then you have. Uh, and then, once you have that, you build out templates essentially as much as possible so that they can work within that same standards and guidelines. And then, of course, continuous education. So data literacy is a big part of what I do, and you know continually educating them in terms of you know what's right, what's wrong, how to use the data, what data exists, and how to use the data in you know a governed sense and in a private sense, because in some cases, the data that they may be taking in may be sensitive data. And usage of sensitive data education is very, very key and important um, as to how to do that. So some of that becomes a little repetitive, but it's very, very essential um, for organizations itself. And then, of course, a lot of training on the tools um, so that they are using the tools in the right way and they're using it optimally for their needs. Now, this I talk about in very, very large organizations, right? Now you come to like smaller and mid-sized organizations. In that case you know, you should minimize the amount of decentralization that actually happens. So from a data standpoint, you know, you don't expect them to go and be running their own ETLs um, and doing anything beyond. It's the
2: same stack, but just a freemium edition. Exactly. That's
0: a, <laughs> I think that's the uh, perfect analogy. Right? Yes.
2: Uh, remove all the enterprise features, no auditing, yeah. no compliance, no security. No,
0: no. So you still have all of that, but it's <laughs> my mild- central team uh, you still have education because they still have self serve so the ability to do self serve but your self serve is now limited to where they are more dashboarding and then doing stuff from you know from that point onwards so they are not responsible for bringing and uh, the data in or etls and um, you know you want to try to minimize that as much as possible um, just so that because it's a smaller organization yours is a smaller team as well so you want to kind of keep that management of it um, Much, much more um, centralized. So education still exists here because they still need to understand the importance of the data, how what data exists, and um, you know how sensitive and private data should actually be utilized. So that still exists from a literacy standpoint. And pick
2: the right compute so they don't burn the monthly budget.
0: Exactly. So you know that that part of it still um, you know continues, but I, I would say that's how I typically prefer. You know that we organize. Uh, data in because again large organizations There is just too much to manage and you know it's not essential that you know every time your data team doesn't have to be for 40 people like a 40 people team to you know serve a larger organization you can actually manage with a smaller team it's just that you're going
2: to do a sister uh a sister uh show it's called data politics (laughs) unlike data engineering uh very did similar data, to the data, data politics show nice did the data <laughs> politics show and and you know it's 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 yeah it is interesting though to see how data gravity affects uh data politics uh and it does
0: yeah i'm sure yeah. i'm sure it does uh, again with the importance that data has across the organization i'm sure there are politics associated with it um but but yeah so you know that's that's kind of how i look at uh, I look at self-serve um, and that's how I prefer to manage it within organizations where I go and lead such efforts.
2: What's kind of the most exciting thing coming uh, coming to your team this year? What are you working on that's big and risky and, uh, and supposed to make a big impact?
0: Well, there are a couple of initiatives. I obviously can't go into details of them. Um, due to privacy but there are a couple of very interesting things uh, the team has been working on so one really awesome thing that uh, i was able to do for my team earlier this year uh, was doing a data hackathon so you know you typically have like software engineering hackathons but data hackathons are very cool they're much cooler than software oh, engineering hackathons tell,
1: so as me. a software as a software engineer i feel offended uh, but tell us tell us how to host an amazing data hackathon so um <laughs> what, what we what we did, sorry Benjamin. I, it's I was fine. I could handle it.
2: I They're can. doing three hackathons a week in Munich there. <laughs> His team is doing like, oh, let's do a hackathon. Hackathons are unique, Benjamin. You do it once in a while and, and you eat pizza. So but yeah, sorry, go no, ahead.
0: No, no. Uh, so we we did a hackathon. So what we did though, Benjamin, um we, we kind of set the topics up previously like um, and what the topics were is these were long-standing problems within the organization and challenges that the organization was facing and we were looking to see either to come out with a solve for it or for a with a prototype for it so you know either the outcome would be a plan as to you know how we would tackle the problem or it would come out with a full solve with a prototype Um, and happy to say like three out of the four projects I don't have a large team so Three out of the four projects um, that we did are like going live um, already. So um, that was like you know, and those like uh, Edla to your question is um, the super exciting stuff that we actually did. um, All of them revenue generating ones, um, again, um, and things that we were super excited about. So we are taking some of that learning and essentially we have taken it a step ahead and. you know, we are looking for other similar revenue generating opportunities and we have found some similar such ideas and uh, we are moving forward with that as well. So um, again, that's- that is like the fun and exciting stuff that's coming up. Uh, again, can't go into much details, but
1: but yes. Uh, so, so for for these open business problems initially, right, like who kind of, right, like you, you worked on specific things, like given how many different kind of, business functions there are that like you guys are helping with as a data team? Like who was kind of the one, like, yeah. How did you decide basically which problems were worth tackling?
0: So we have, as, as SaaS has, right? Like you have uh, a freemium um, and the smaller version of your platform, and then you have the much more enterprise version of the platform. Uh, our focus was to essentially see that how can we increase the, acquisition of customers here like on the premium side of it and then retain them and then get them to move to more paid right Um, and so what we did is that from the problems that we had so we had 12 problems um, that came to us and we had to choose four out of them and the four we selected were all related to to this essentially. so that's how we kind of uh, uh, that's how we kind of focused on it because that was very important for the organization and we wanted to make sure that you know, we were helping with that um specifically given the time. Um, so that's that's kind of how we prioritized it. Uh that's not to say that the other ones have been ignored, the other ones we have also taken on. Um, we do intend to have like a virtual hackathon. This one we were fortunate to be able to do in person. Um but it's virtual, so you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, so and so you know, the intent is to kind of tackle those uh, in the subsequent virtual hackathon. And then, of course, I'll let you all know how that goes because I have never done a virtual hackathon before.
1: Um, awesome we're, we're nice. that's that sounds that sounds like a kind of huge challenge to kind of uh, get get like the energy kind oh. of uh, right. So gotcha. so kind of data hackathon, you start out with a specific business objective, you pick kind of projects around that. As you closed out the hackathon, so this is the final part, right? Like how did like demo day look or like kind of how, yeah, like how kind of yeah, how did every team close out their data hackathon project?
0: So this is where our coolness factor ends a little bit uh, in comparison to software engineering hackathon because you all can actually show like I knew it. I knew <laughs> I <it. laughs> yeah, made him happy again. Um, no, so, <laughs> so of course, you know we are our, our demo essentially was data our demo was the solution. So it was more PowerPoint slides um, than anything else. Um, But, you know, the outputs itself were like super, super exciting. We had data science models built out for all of them. Um, And so, you know, we could showcase those models and show the output of those models itself. So for our judges, it was so exciting to see that data live and see the answers to these questions. So um, that was like...
1: Fun part of it, yeah. But that sounds super cool. Like I don't see what the kind of missing coolness factors. Like we, right? Like we build kind of the query engine. So our demos usually are: you click something, it's slow. Then after the hackathon, right? You click something. Now it's much faster because our <laughs> query engine, like we improved some algorithm or something. So okay, maybe it's leveled. So we, we can agree the data yeah. hackathon is just as cool as the software hackathon.
0: <laughs> I, ag- I agree. I agree. I change my statement.
1: <laughs> Perfect. So on those on this kind of lovely <laughs> <laughs> note, let's wrap up uh, today's episode, Meena, Any kind of closing words to our audience uh, that yeah uh, that that you wanted to kind of talk about in terms of yeah data, data teams, etc.
0: One thing I want to kind of close out with, and I, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk much about, is the ROI of data teams, um, and I, I think the ROI and if you all heard like my Monte Carlo post as well, I talk about ATV, which is adoption, trust and value. And, you know, if you follow these three methodologies within, you know, when as you go and build out a strategy for your data team itself, you will realize that the value of that your team provides far outweighs the cost of the investment that you have made uh, in building the team out itself. So, you know, that's one thing I would love to leave you all with. So, adoption essentially talks about the fact um, so you know data democratization so as you build your semantic layer out and as you have the organization essentially adopt your data platform itself it's very essential that the adoption piece of it occurs for the other pieces of it to happen now the second part is trust of course you know if there is no quality of data or if there's no trust and transparency within your data the adoption is not going to be it's not going to be complete Uh, And so you have to ensure that that is the other pillar that you have to take care of. And then the value generation starts happening is that once you have adoption and trust in, then, you know, you start producing value out of your uh, platform itself. The second thing I would like to leave you all with is the fact that nothing is possible without the team itself. And so it's very essential that your team has the ability to cross train, upskill, um, and continuous learning has to be provided um, to the team so that they are kind of growing and provide them the opportunity to become as productive um, as possible in their in whatever it is that they do. Because uh, the job that the data team does is always very underappreciated. Um, and so in order for you know, the teams to be ap- appreciated and for the teams to be more productive, you have to provide them the environment um, to actually be productive and you know really provide a satisfying out- outcome for uh, everything, so um, two very very key and very important things um, to take care of. But that's that's the message that I would probably leave.
1: This. Those were great closing words. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, so this was awesome, kind of learning how you think about building high performing data data organizations. Uh, yeah, uh, and kind of we look forward to hearing how the virtual hackathon. Uh, data hackathon uh, goes at the end. Awesome. Thanks for joining in, Mino. Thank, thank you for joining. So yeah,
0: thank you bye so bye. much. bye Take care. The Data Engineering Show is brought to you by Firebolt. It's the cloud data warehouse for insanely fast analytics over terabytes of data with fewer resources.